Coming up on Wrestling Life. It's crazy. I was just—I found some old diaries the other day, my scheduled diaries. I was just looking at. I had a weekend where I was in Bristol, then I was in Glasgow, then I was back down over in, in, in Norwich in one weekend. And I was thinking, what was I even thinking? When when did I eat? When did I train? You know. Yeah. Um, but you just did it. Welcome to Wrestling Life with Ben Veal, the show that features real talk from real talent. Hello and welcome to Wrestling Life, the show that tells the real stories behind those that have shaped wrestling's past, present and future. I'm your host Ben Veal from Wrestling Life Online and joining me today is one of the most respected names to ever come out of the British wrestling scene. He is a two-time TNA X Division champion, a Ring of Honor Pure champion has held the IWGP, Pro Wrestling Noah, NWA and TNA Tag Team Championships, is a former OVW Heavyweight Champion and has built up a reputation globally over the last 30 years as the Ambassador of British Wrestling and as one of the very best to lace up the boots. It's a real pleasure not only to get this long intro out of the way but to also welcome to Wrestling Life the one, the only, Doug Williams. Doug, thanks for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm pleased to be here, Ben. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Very good. That's a lot of titles. It's a hell of an intro. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's easily done when it comes to someone who's, you know, had the had the career that you've had. Mm-hmm. I guess so, yeah. 30 years, you build it up over time, don't you? <laughs> you do, you do. So look, we'll, we'll, we'll come to the end and we'll work backwards. So look, we're, we're speaking today because you announced back in July 2023 that Doug Williams, the pro wrestler, is over and a new mm-hmm. story awaits. Mm. So... Why was 2023 the right time for you to retire and step away from the squared circle? Uh, essentially because um, I had scheduled uh, knee replacement surgery, which which happened. Um, and uh, it happened a little bit sooner in the year than I was expecting, okay. uh, forcing me to cancel a bunch of bookings, unfortunately. But it also gave me, you know, that, that I knew then that was it, really. Um, to be honest, it was... Res- relatively an easy decision to make because I was not enjoying the wrestling for the last six or the first six months of 2023 because I was constantly getting hurt or injured or something. I was always, you know, just signs my body was breaking down in ways that uh, it only only it can show. So uh, yeah, it was I wasn't I wasn't feeling that motivation anymore. So it was definitely the right time, um, and this time is 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 almost certainly it. <laughs> How did you feel? You know, you 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 did the classic kind of leaving the boots in the in the middle of a ring. How did yeah. you feel, kind of lacing up the boots for the last time and knowing that this was done? I mean, yeah, it was emotional, you know, very much so. It's just it's an end of, you know, the something that has encaptured the majority of my life. You know, um, over half my life has been been the wrestling ring. So it was it was difficult from that respect. But um, you know, I, I kind of. Uh, I've been there before, um, you know, back in 2018, and um, I'd already made up my mind anyway a couple of months before, so it wasn't like something I had to do and spur a moment decision or something I, you know, that was forced upon me. It was something that I'd kind of planned for, so it, it, it was fine. Yeah, I, I saw a, when I was researching this, I saw a photo that you shared from, I think it was your very first publicity shot or your very first kind of bit of coverage you had back in Power Slam. Oh, wow. A very, a very, very young looking Doug Williams in the early yeah. stages of your career there. 
I think that'd be 1997. I think was the first time I appeared in Power Slam. But yeah, that's that's crazy. <laughs> well, so let go go right back to the beginning. Then what what attracted you to pro wrestling in the first place? Well, I think it was kind of a mixture of showmanship and, and entertainment, along with the athletic side of it. Um, I was already quite a high level performing uh, judo player, um, and uh, wrestling kind of appealed to me in that respect. In that I thought I could probably give it a go, although I didn't think it would be to the level that I eventually got to. I was I was kind of set on, you know, maybe wrestling in a few British rings back in the time, because I'd watched the old stuff, when I, the ITV stuff when I was young. young. Um, but it was kind of WWF that brought me back into being a real fan when I was, yeah. you know, early, early teens. Um, and that was really what attracted me to it. It's just like the characters and the, the razzmatazz and the, and the showmanship of it all, you know, centred around essentially what is, you know, combat sports. Um, but yeah, and I was kind of hooked, really. It was brilliant. I'm always interested. Who, who was your guy growing up? Because I'm a Bret Hart guy. I, uh, <laughs> well, you? I'm probably maybe a little bit generation before, but Ted DiBiase um, and, and Randy Savage were probably my two favourites. Yeah, right so, we'll, so, so we're, both, we're both workhorse guys, just... Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, wrestling heels is what I like. You know, guys that are capable competent and don't always cheat but they're 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 still villainous in their in their character and, and how they portray themselves in the ring you know i think that's definitely my favorite kind of characters really interesting so i've been I'm, I'm going to wrestlemania for first time for wrestlemania 40 and in, yeah. in in getting ready for that i've been watching all of wrestlemanias from from the beginning which has been yeah. well a it's taken a lot of time but b it's really interesting to see the evolution of that product and the cool. second that you see the likes of Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase and then Kurt Hennig and later Bret Hart enter the ring. You just, you can just see the evolution of the sport right before your very eyes and just yeah, the pacing and their, just everything they bring to the table. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it changes quite quickly over a, over a few years, I think, but I think it's just because when WWF exploded or, you know, grew, that was kind of the tail end of that, late 70s early 80s style and it started moving as later you know the later 80s into the 90s into the into a faster paced style kind of and so we kind of caught the tail end of that that you yeah. know <laughs> well of course when you, when you were growing up there wasn't you know with the exception of the british bulldogs there wasn't really much in a way of seeing british talent making it internationally Whereas no, I mean, now, now, now you, you, you've seen it a lot more. And so you, you know, you were very much part of that wave, weren't you? Of, mm. um, you know, talent that would go over to major U S promotions and carve out a name for yourself while still retaining that style that you, you brought to the British scene. Well, yeah. And it was very difficult, you know, when I was, you know, starting out or in, in, in even the first 10 years of my business, getting abroad in any respect, you know, even, even to Europe or, uh, like you say, America, it was just, there wasn't like, now there's structured steps, there's goals to aim for that are, you know, manageable and you, you work towards them and you, you, you're getting in. Um, and obviously the industry's grown su to such a huge extent that they, they look for so many, you know, pull, pulling in so many more guys internationally. But yeah, when I started, and yeah, like I say, the first 10 years of my career, very, very difficult. I mean, I worked, I mean, I was kind of relentless in trying to, get bookings outside of the country and it paid off thankfully you know it's a combination of luck and and talent as well <laughs> thankfully but yeah yeah and, and, and perseverance isn't it it's, as yeah. you say it's it's years in the game it's reps it's building Absolutely. that reputation up slowly 
Absolutely. And, you know, there's lucky breaks as well. Like you, you meet people, so you get the networking. You know, um, some Americans that come over and toured in the UK, they went back and they put a word in and things like that. And it all helps. But it was all much more organic, you know, much more a slower process. So much uncertainty, you know, that you just didn't know, really. Um, and then, you know, the UK was quite isolated in its, in its exposure um, by the wrestling media of the time, which was, you know, limited to probably three or four magazines and and obviously the the, uh, the newsletters. Um, the coverage in them was near to non-existent because you know the the, the British scene it died on a, on a major level. Mm. such that they didn't feel like they needed to cover it so it was difficult to get your name out because of that if nothing else so when you when you kind of joined for business mm. you know you said about you know when you arrived did you really feel that it was possible to make a living out of the british scene or no, did you see that. it as something <laughs> so, no, so, what, so what so what was your ambition even, kind of going in doug well see even even my first year i did 70 matches but you're still only uh you know you're probably i mean we're talking early 90s here so 10 or 15 pound a match. So, you know, it's not, it's not mega bucks. And I know that right. I knew what the top guys were never going to be getting, because you can see by side of the audience and the, you know, the top guys are never going to be earning huge amounts of money. And um, yeah. in the nineties, there just wasn't the volume of shows, you know, that you could, even if they were relatively modest paydays, you just couldn't, you couldn't get the volume that you needed in order to generate the income. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, obviously, um, was content to keep my full time job and do the do the shows as and when I could. Yeah, yeah. Because, and as you say, it's just a, it's a slow graft, isn't it? Mm. Slowly building a reputation, building a name for yourself, mm. and then over time, we've obviously seen the industry explode and the British scene, you know, really gather steam and you know really become ultra competitive. Yeah. But obviously, you were there at a time that that very much wasn't the case, weren't you? Very much, you know, one of the one of the early. Um, I guess uh, that early groundswell of a new breed of talent bringing yeah. new energy into the, the industry. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And it's a shame that there wasn't the infrastructure in place in the country mm. to to um, to uh, allow it to uh, thrive and, and 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 for us to earn money in this country, you know, uh, without the need to travel abroad. Really, um, I mean, a lot of guys did just wrestle, but. You know, they 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 were single guys living at home with their parents. Mm. Still, you know? <laughs> you're never going to make a, a, a you know a, an independent living out of it. I'd say back then. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things that gets lost, and one of the reasons why through this podcast I want to have you know I talk about real talk from real talent because I think it gets overlooked a lot with with these kind of larger than life wrestlers and superstars and what have you. Yeah. But actually, you're all real people. Yeah, <laughs> live real lives with real families that have to put up this incredibly grueling schedule. And whilst I'm sure in one respect it's very, you know, you're, you're drawn to you, the US because of the, you know, the, the scene and that's where the crowd is and that's where the opportunities are. I'm sure there's also a real wish that you could do that same thing in the UK and not have to leave your country. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's interesting really because as I started to become a professional wrestler in the first couple of years, my kind of ambition switch from wanting to go to America to wanting to go to Japan and Germany as well because of the 
the tournaments I knew happened there. That's where most of the guys, most of the British guys from the, the generation before made good money going to Germany and Japan as opposed to the United States. So my, my ambition kind of switched to doing that, which was kind of more my focus. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the USA stuff I did in the earlier days, like you know, the, the, the founding um, times of Ring of Honor and that sort of thing, kind of just a lucky, lucky break, really. I wasn't looking or pushing for that at that point. Um, I mean, you had um, you had two stints at, in Ring of Honor. What what are your memories like of being part of ROH? Uh, oh, yeah, it's interesting. I always get asked this question. I always give it the same answer. It's like they were obviously the exposure they had through the newsletters made them out to be a big a big deal and, and something mm. very uh, special, important. But you know that side when you got there, um, you understood and you realised that it was pretty much the same as wrestling any other show you know, back home or, 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 or wherever. It was, uh, you know, 500 people in a, an armory uh, in a rough part of Philadelphia. And um, <laughs> it, it was interesting, really. You know, you still got changed in the basement and, uh, you know, the building wasn't air-conditioned, so you were sweaty and, and horrible. And, um, yeah, once you got over that fear of, you know, this is going to be a global exposure... It was just like wrestling on any other show, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think where, where ROH has kind of built up, it, you know, it's almost like built it up in nostalgia, hasn't it? I mean, obviously at the time with, uh, you know, with the dirt sheets and the internet and stuff, it was mm. made out to be the promotion. Mm. But also it's looking back at it now with hindsight, isn't it? With how many, you know, globally known Hall of Fame talents have gone through ROH yes. at one point or another, pretty much all of whom you have shared a ring with. I mean, I, 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 I could reel out a list of all the people you've been in the ring with but it would take too long i mean <laughs> what what have been what have been some of your favorite uh dance partners over the years to um oh definitely christopher daniels always always really enjoyed wrestling him brian danielson too um aj styles love working with him jerry lynn as well i mean i could go on and on couldn't i really they were some of my favorite guys to work with um and then a couple of guys on the British scene I always used to work really well with, James Mason, who's still around now. Um, and then Phil Flash Barker was another one of my favourite opponents. Um, we, we, I mean, we probably known for FWA, but we wrestled hundreds and hundreds of times on the British circuit and around. So, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of the guys that worked with and have gone on to be, um, you know, huge stars, I'm often asked the question, well, why aren't you still... And I'm, I'm still there. And I'm like, well, I was actually 10 years older than a lot of these guys. That's what the, these guys are starting in the States. And they were in their 20s, mm. you know, early 20s. I was already, come ring of honour, I was already 30 by that point. Right. So I was 10 yeah. years older than a lot of these guys. So, you know, they, 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 they're still almost in their primes at the moment. Whereas I haven't yeah. got any more. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Of course, you know, every in all of those years, you're... You're, you know, you're racking up your bump card, aren't you? You're, Absolutely, yeah. You, know, you, yeah. you know, so, I mean, and most of those names you mentioned, by the time they did have perhaps, um, you know, major WWE runs, um, you know, already probably getting towards the end of their 30s. Yeah, I think AJ Styles was mm. around about 40 when he when he Absolutely. made the move from TNA. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it, it's very much a case of, and I then I guess for a lot of them, it's been a case of adapting their style to preserve their body for as long as possible, hasn't it? When when you finally do get called to the, you know, the absolutely. Big well, the, the requirement to take the risks and, um, 
just the style that, that that they require you to wrestle means that you are going to be a lot safer anyway, which is yeah, which is a good thing given you know you reach that point like you say after you've already put in 10, 15, 20 years of graft, you know, um, in dodgy rings and, and and small buildings against not necessarily always against the most professional or skilled of opponents. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it's probably a bit of a relief when they get, to, you know, it, it's it's couple it's balanced out by other stresses. Yeah, when you reach that level of wrestling, but the actual in ring itself is probably quite an e- or it is an easy thing to to manage at that point. So I'm interested. I mean, obviously. Obviously, we as fans watching on, you know, I can see the instant chemistry between someone like you and and Brian Danielson, for example. Mm. But um, what what is it about some of those like opponents that you've loved working with? Is it is it is it that they're just easier to work with that you get one another that the communication is less? What what is it that makes a great opponent? Well, it's just people are well trained, aren't they? So you don't need to. They understand the positioning and and, and mechanics of how pro wrestling works. Um, so it's always easy to get in there and just just wrestle around with them without having to talk too much. You know, yeah. you might talk about high spots and key moments in the match, but you don't necessarily have to go step through step through everything. You can rely on them to be in the right place at the right time, to base you properly, to sell for you, make you look good as well as you making them look good. Um, so it's all those sort of things that contribute. Um, and uh, it's it's... Not always the case that you gel with everybody, even if they are, you know, a, a, a good wrestler. But it is a nice feeling when you get in there with someone and, and you don't even, you know, you, you know instantly. I, I would say 95% of the time you can lock up with someone and you'll know instantly if they're decent or not. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just a bit like the handshake, like as soon as you have that lock up, you're like, oh, this is this is not going to go well. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And then, and then what do you do as a veteran in that scenario? So is it then for you to really kind of... Yeah, you kind of take, lead, lead for, take over less, a bit. You're less trusting of what, what they're going to do. So you make sure you kind of manage the situation such that you're always in control to some degree, I think is the best way to describe it. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean that's generally what what I've done in the past. And then is is there a conversation afterwards? Do you um, do you debrief a bit on on some points, or is or is that just? I might try and give them some pointers. I think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if they're a lost cause, maybe not. But I might <laughs> say, listen, you know, you're good at this and that, but you might want to work on this, that, and the other, you know, and, and just take it from there. Um, yeah. Well, it's that respect. It's that respect part of a business, isn't it? Yeah. With, all, with all of the reputation you've built up, I'm sure, you know, for for a lot of the people that you've worked with, especially of a of a you know the younger talents, are probably really hungry to get that feedback from you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd think um, so. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, there's a there's a phrase I often say is that those that ask don't need it, which is generally what 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 the case is. But then that's the reason they don't need to ask is because they have. Well, they do ask, you know, so they've, yeah. they've, they've actually taken advice on board and they've implemented it and they've become a better wrestler for it. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll be surprised at the amount of people that don't feel the need to ask. But well, it's, ask. it's interesting. So, <laughs> so, so, so I had, um, I had you know, a, a man that I know you've you've shared a ring with a, a good few times, Rishi Ghosh on the, on the show recently. <laughs> okay. He was talking about, changing in wrestling etiquette and what he's seen over his 20 20 odd years okay. wrestling and how some of the things in pro wrestling that maybe 
were almost unwritten rules saying the late 90s early noughties are starting to get lost as a new um mm. a new talent comes in things like he was given examples like giving up your chair for a veteran yeah. shaking the hand of everyone when you arrive speaking to the promoter being clear on what your time is so you don't go over time is there any of that that you've seen uh kind of evolve over your time wrestling yeah almost all of that really really talk about it's um I mean, I'm not that hung up on going around shaking everybody's hand. You know, I mean, it's it, it, you can say hello to someone. You can, you can. I'm not going to walk. I'll wait for people to come to me. A terrible thing to say, but um, yeah, the, the 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 just being polite and generally professional in your in your demeanor and how you approach people is is the best thing. Um, I'm. I've had guys that, that that will come to me and say, I want to do this, that, and the other. And I've had to say, well, that all sounds very good, but it doesn't fit with what 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 the promoter what or the booker wants out of the match. And um I'm not taking some of that stuff either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, they've got to be dip- you've got to be dip- diplomatic in your approach sometimes and and how you how you speak to especially veterans and, and people with more experience. And I've I kind of noticed that, but um Rishi's probably been in more more contemporary locker rooms than I have in the last few years. He's probably seen that decline um, more so than than I necessarily would. And I'm probably coming from a different position. Whereas when I come to a locker room, or certainly in the last year when I went to a locker room, it was um, not as a regular part of the crew. It's like I'm there as an attraction, as yeah. being Doug Williams, you know. So I generally get treated maybe a bit better than. Someone, you know, like Rishi, who's who's still on the circuit, he's still doing the rounds, but he's been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah, you know, what I mean, that he he might have that familiarity that people think they can maybe not be uh, quite so, um, you know, maybe break a few of the old etiquette rules that that yeah used to apply all the time. Oh, it's just, I mean, it's just a sign of the times, isn't it? I mean, you yeah. know, we're talking yeah. different eras. Every every aspect of business is has changed and evolved and probably a lot I mean, of absolutely. When I was in a boardroom, uh, you know, a different yeah. to what you get now. When I was, when I started out, you come into the locker room, you sit down, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't say anything. You wait until you're spoken to by the, by the veterans, you know, you, you okay. down and, and, um, and yeah, you know, like, like a young child. Or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's obviously clearly changed. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. No. You shouldn't be walking into a locker room of fear. You should be walking into a locker room of collaboration and and camaraderie, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you're you're all there to put on a put on a, a product that's entertainment at heart and have a good time, aren't you? That's absolutely. really what it should be about. And to, you know, the thing I love about the art form of pro wrestling, you know, is the fact that it's it's two professionals who are there to make one another look as good as possible. Mm. It's it's quite an unusual thing in any other competitive sport, but actually, your job is to make your opponent look as strong as possible not to get yourself over and yeah. that's what i think is is fantastic about wrestling when it's done well again as a as a student of you know Bret Hart, that's what the match calls you know. for if that's what the match calls yeah. for yes yeah <laughs> but you're right no you're absolutely right there that is the if I, yeah of course i also come from the era of the, the early 90s squash so yeah <laughs> there's also the the alternative of the two minute beatdown, which was popularized absolutely yeah yeah so if, if someone wanted to, uh, this is the hard question, you've probably been asked countless times, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If someone wanted to watch a definitive Doug Williams match, 
is there one particular bout or a particular opponent that you had such great chemistry with that you would say, watch that yeah, above all else? I think, um, and it's interesting you ask a question on today because it is this day, on this day, um, in 2010, where this match occurred, um, where I wrestled AJ Styles for the TNA TV title match. I think that's a good kind of example of a classic Doug Williams match. And we do, you know, a bunch of British-inspired stuff in the start and there's suplexes and flying knees and flying, you know, uppercuts and all sorts of stuff. So that's definitely one to watch. Um, earlier things is definitely early Ring of Honor matches. Me against Christopher Daniels um, from March 2003, I think, and, and me against Brian Danielson from very early on, I think, June 2002. There's some classic examples of, 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 of me in action, so to speak. Um, numerous tag matches around here and there because I've won, seem to have won more tag titles than I have singles. Yeah. <laughs> So um, yeah, no, it's uh, it, those are the, the probably the you know. If I give you two matches, it would be that AJ Styles from um, Final Destination, or can't remember what it's called now. Um, but it was from for on this day in 2010 when I won the TV title from him. Well, there you go. Yeah. This episode of Wrestling Life is brought to you in partnership with our friends over at Legacy Sports Nutrition. Take your physical and mental performance to the next level with Test X9 a natural testosterone booster. Clinically proven, Test X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition is NSF certified, third-party lab tested, and made in the US of A. And it's brought to you by friends of the show, three-time world champion Nick Aldis and 10-time world champion Mickey James. Nick developed and uses these products himself, so you know they work, and he shows you how over at LegacySupps.com with links to clinical studies on each of the nine key ingredients. No bull, no bro science, just facts. It's time to level up your strength, energy, libido and drive now with Test X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition. And if you want to really level up, go for the ultimate test stack at T-Assist, a pro-grade estrogen inhibitor and test enhancer, and the best-selling sleep aid Recovery PM and discover why improving your sleep is the key to unlocking your mental and physical potential. So stop settling for average Go to LegacySupps.com now and use the promo code WRESTLINGLIFE for 10% off your entire order. That's promo code WRESTLINGLIFE. And if you subscribe to have it shipped every 30 days, you can still get the discount every single time. So head on over now to LegacySupps.com and level up with Legacy. It's it's interesting because you mentioned about tag teams. I mean, yeah, you have had a, a myriad of tag partners and won multiple tag championships. Did, did that just kind of come about organically, you being in tag teams? Because yeah. obviously that wasn't your background coming into... No, yeah, I think so. Tag. Just um, It was just interesting in, 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 in like, obviously I won uh, the GHC tag titles in NOAA um, at a time when they weren't putting single titles on foreigners anyway, so they, they always, you're always going to be winning a tag title if you're foreigners there. Um, and then... In TNA, obviously, my role there was to be the captain or mentor, what you like, the veteran of, of, of the British Invasion tag team and to bring Nick along. So, again, I was kind of pushed into a tag team role um, and just, uh, yeah, just went along with, uh, with it and do it. I wouldn't say I'm a specifically a tag team specialist in any respect, um, 
but I, I do enjoy doing tag team wrestling. I think it's more, for me, it's more interesting and exciting to watch than singles matches a lot of the time. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's, it's been interesting having to do so many over the years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess <laughs> Look, I, yeah. you can split my, you can split my career into kind of three phases and you have your singles run for the first 10 or 15 years. And I have this spate of being a tag kind of specialist for another 10 years. And the last five years have been back to, with the exception of last year when I won the NWA tag titles. But other yeah. than that, yeah, it's all been it's, it, it kind of split into phases, so to speak. But you've enjoyed you've enjoyed Override. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, fantastic. So look, you mentioned him. Um, I mentioned this off camera briefly before. Um, okay. Nick Aldis, so British Invasion. So you were, you know, a fixture of TNA for many years. And Ben, as you say, you you started this partnership where you were. I guess in that dynamic with with Nick Aldis and Rob Terry, the the elder statesman of the British invasion. Um, yeah. Now, now Nick has said in many interviews how much influence you had on him. Um, Nick's a friend of the show, and I asked him what I should ask you, and he said, "Is there anything you learned or observed from him that helped you to also grow and evolve as a performer?" Oh, absolutely, definitely. I think what I learned from him is about poise. Is about how to present yourself as a superstar, as someone who's larger than life, who's someone that can get themselves over without necessarily being the best wrestler in the room. Um, I learned how to cut promos better because of the confidence that he kind of instilled, uh, you know, in me from watching him cut promos because he was always very confident and always good at that from the from the outset so i think when it comes down to it those are the those are things that i've um that i've learned from him so definitely definitely it's been a two-way street it's um i had oh probably best part of three hours interviewing him about a year ago and we went through the whole career and gladiators and his move over to the states and you know at the time he was just saying you know, I just want a chance. I just give me a chance in WWE, yeah. and um, just incredible to see. I my my my, um, my Instagram just blew up one day because I'd I'd collaborated on something with him, and I suddenly just saw all these notifications. Google Nick Aldis, and I was like, oh wow, GM of SmackDown. And um, I know it's an, it's an interesting road into into WWE, but yeah. I'm just so pleased to see him get that opportunity now because it's been a long time coming. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm very, very happy for him. And I know that, you know, he'll take every opportunity he can when he's there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I spoke to him, like, just before he took a job with them um, about his options. And uh, to me, it sounded like that. He was most excited about that. Because um, at first, because they only brought him in as a producer, he didn't. He was a bit, you know... Um, I don't know, disappointed, I guess, because he thought, you know, he had a lot to contribute on screen. Yeah. Um, of course, as soon as he heard that there was a possibility that they would give him that role as well, he he leapt at it, and and, and rightfully so. I think he's going to be fantastic, you know? Yeah, and I think it's a great... I also think it's a great introduction for him because, right. you know, there there is the fact that there's a lot, there's a lot of people, especially watching WWE, that simply have only ever watched WWE and they've never experienced TNA or Ring of Honor or possibly even AEW. Um, You know, there is a pure fan base for WWE Mm. that is so ardently loyal to that project. And so I think him having the opportunity to 
build his own character and name for himself in a WWE ring will open mm. up so many doors for him when when he inevitably steps into a ring. He's already been RKO'd. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, he took it really well as well. <laughs> he did. <laughs> as I knew he it, would. In one of his patented seats, no less. Yeah, that's right. When he's standing there, he's basically the same size as Randy Orton. You know, yeah. You do, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm so pleased for him, and I hope, I hope it pans. He is an said, exceptional wrestler, by the way. He, yeah, uh, he, he, he the, the, That period from when he, 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 he wrestled Cody for the NWA title, um, you know, all through the, the NWA run has is, is made him well, I, a, a phenomenal all-round competitor as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, and it's 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 um, a shame he's stuck in a suit <laughs> at the moment. Eh? So, look, talking of tag team partners, um, you know, mm. you mentioned it briefly. You also had an NWA run last year with um, Harry Smith as the Commonwealth Connection. Correct. Um, now, Harry is, of course, the son of a late great British bulldog, mm. um, and you know he seems to have just such incredible work ethic and ring presence, and obviously comes from this really rich family mm. pedigree. Um, I mean, presume you know you're talking about the era you were watching wrestling, so you'd have very much been, I'm sure, as a student of the game, watching the British Bulldogs and how much they revolutionised the WWF. Mm. Um, what was that experience like of working with um, Harry? Well, I wrestled him before a long, long time ago for One PW in the UK when he was just a young lad starting out, and I've obviously met him plenty of times down the road. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was fine working with him just because. I know I didn't have to think about every. It, we go back to the British invasion because I was the veteran and, and, and Nick and Rob were learning and coming up. I was the one that structured matches, put them together. This is what we're going to do, et cetera, et cetera. But I knew that when I was with um, Harry, I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to do that. He would contribute ideas as well. So it would be an easier, an easier path and or less stress on me, should I say, to try and put good matches together. Um, and we complimented each other as well because I'm, I'm not on the small side, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm whatever, just under six foot and he's like six foot oh, four. He's a, he's so a, I met him last year. He's a, he's yeah. a big guy. He, he's a beast. So he's a power guy. I was a technical guy. It kind of worked well for the, for the period that it was happening. And how, and how did that come about? That, that kind of run that you had with NWA? Well, it's, it's funny because I was originally brought back to NWA to reform British Invasion with Nick and yeah. we were going to go into the Crockett Cup as a British Invasion. But then, for whatever reason, I don't know if someone was injured or, 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 or pulled out. Nick was then pulled back into the main event singles mat, uh, singles title run going up to the Water Crockett Cup. So um, they just slotted Harry into that s- space instead. So Nick was, you know, pulled out. They changed direction with him. Um, and they said, you know, you want to tag with Harry instead? And I said, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I'll, <laughs> I'll make it work. So yeah. uh, that's what we did. And um, I guess, I guess, at this point, you've had so many tag team titles and had so many partners that you you know how to click. That's it. That's it. And I, I believe that it was only something that was meant to run to the Crockett Cup because we had such a strong showing in the Crockett Cup. Then they decided to put the belts on us at the next set of tapings, which is a nice gesture for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as I knew, it was only going to be a one and done thing for, for the Crockett Cup at the time, uh, which is why we didn't get matching outfits made. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the mark of any great tag team. Hey, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but you had a you, but you had a, but you had a tag team name, which is more than most tag teams these days. It's funny that because I just 
threw it out there as kind of a half joke. Yeah, Commonwealth joke, Connection. Yeah, and Joe Gally picked up on it straight away and went, oh, yeah, that's good. Commonwealth Connection. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> that very, you know, that very yeah. special relationship that exists between England and Canada, isn't it? Absolutely. There we go. You know? Yeah. Back from the old imperialistic times. That's great. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, look, you mentioned at the start, so you, you said about um, that this was kind of your second time you'd stepped away from the ring. So was it was it 2018 before that you took a break? Yes. yes. So, yes. so what led to that, Doug? I needed neck surgery. Right. Um, and I kind of felt at the time I was a little, a little bit burnt out on wrestling. I'd probably done, I felt I'd done as much as I probably could do to that point. I was 48 as well <laughs> by then. Um, and as I say, yeah, I, I, I neck pain was causing me strength issues in my arms. Um, so I needed surgeries and that was essentially the reason for retirement then. Um, the intention was always to retire at the end of the year, 2018. And it was only when, you know, the guys that ran Progress came up with a storyline, um, you know, that we brought it forward to September. But I still fulfilled the bookings I had till the end of the year. Um, but, yeah, it was, again, it's injury. It was just injury that, that made me make that decision. And, yeah. you know, like at the time, British wrestling was on a high. It was very, very popular. There was an abundance of talent. All the shows were drawing well. And I thought, well, I don't need to be here really anymore. Not, not in the ring, not performing. I don't need to, you know, my contributing factor of doing that is minimal now, mm. you know? <laughs> um, so I just felt like a good time to me. But do you, are you still going to stay involved? Like what's your relationship with wrestling these days? Well, I kind of took a back seat for three or four months after my operation um i'm slowly picking up little bits and pieces that i want to do um i book for a promotion in germany um i've done um i'm probably going to do some manager spots and commentary on for a few promotions next year yeah. um so yeah just keep my hand in a little bit and, and help guys out where where they can yeah um just more on my on my kind of um my kind of uh, terms as opposed to having to do it in order to yeah. make money and build a career, having fun now. Without yeah, I, think, I think, I think what's, you know, what's interesting on a show like this wrestling life, you know, you, you are someone mm. who I think has, it seems to me that you have managed to strike a real balance between mm. your wrestling career and your professional career. So, you know, we were talking about you, you know, having an extensive quantity surveying career. You know, yeah, alongside, you know, going worldwide with pro wrestling, like, mm. seems to me like you've managed to seamlessly bridge two lives. Mm. But has I, I assume it hasn't been a seamless. No, it hasn't, been, it hasn't been seamless at all. No, <laughs> it's been exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously there was a point where I had to stop working full time on a regular job because I was just so busy mm. going to Japan or go, you know, and going to America. Um, I mean, there was, if I go back to like 2006, 2007, I was doing 200, 250 shows a year, you know, so the amount of time I could contribute to my normal business was kind of minimal, even though I had it still running. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, 
put stress on you, but yeah, you know, yeah. you pull through. <laughs> but you make them, you know, you make hay when the sun shines, don't you? You know, I, yeah, it's all there. I, I try and do as much as possible in, in the short period I had. Um, you know, relatively short period you think you have when you're wrestling <laughs> yeah well look, i mean it's, it's the thing that really interests me because you know yeah. i i it's it's such a nomadic lifestyle isn't it to be a pro mm. wrestler like mm. for me looking on as a fan like it never fails to amaze me that one day you could be in the uk the next year in the us the next year in, you know wherever it's it's incredible the sheer breadth of travel and the schedule that you have to do especially as an yeah. independent pro wrestler yeah um how did how did you kind of um, find the grind? Did you just kind of, is it something you just get used to after a time? Yeah, it's something you just do. You just do really. I mean, especially when you're building your career and you're younger, you just accept it. Um, I know it's crazy. I was just, I found some old diaries the other day, my scheduled diaries. I was just looking at, I had a weekend where I was in Bristol. Then I was in Glasgow. Then I was back down over in, in, in Norwich in one weekend. And I was thinking, what was I even thinking? When when did I eat? When did I train? You know, no. um, but you just did it back then. It's net and like obviously later in my career, like the last few years, I'm much more selective in my jobs, and I wouldn't drive anywhere more than three hours away. I either take the train or or fly if it's like Scotland or something like that. Yeah, because it's just it's just not something I'm. It just takes away the fun of the job. You know, tra- traveling is fun. But not when you have to drive for eight hours, wrestle, and then drive home in the same twenty-four hour period. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm, God, I mean, I remember going up to a a one PW show in in Doncaster from living down south, and just driving up and doing that. And even and even as a fan, just driving that you know five hours to a show. Yeah, knackered me out, and I didn't have to get in a ring and battle. Yeah. They say the travelling yeah. is the worst part of it, and it is yeah. really it's the part that puts the most stress on your body. I think. Yeah, you're sitting cramped for hours on end. You're not doing yeah. your body, your joints, or you know, muscles, or any part. Your spine. You're not doing it any good at all, really. No, the bumping part of it's probably a relief. <laughs> yeah. And was was that a nice aspect of TNA? Because with with a lot of your time in TNA, were you were you located in one place, or when you were in TNA? Yeah, generally because yeah, generally. I mean, they had house show loops, but they would always be. You do like a run of three shows, but they'd be in the same area. So you'd fly into a city, drive around a couple of hours for each show and fly out the same city generally. But like all the TV tapings were in Orlando. So that wasn't traveling that far. So yeah, the schedule there was 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 really easy. And of course, the Floridian lifestyle must have been a pretty nice change of pace as well. Oh yeah, really, really nice. And um, you know, yeah, endless, endless sunshine. You can't complain. Can you? Don't have to pay for your tan, indeed. No, absolutely not. <laughs> this episode of Wrestling Life is brought to you in partnership with our friends over at Legacy Sports Nutrition. Take your physical and mental performance to the next level with Test X9, a natural testosterone booster. Clinically proven, Test X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition is NSF certified, third party lab tested, and made in the US of A. And it's brought to you by friends of the show, three time world champion Nick Aldis and 10-time world champion Mickey James. Nick developed and uses these products himself, so you know they work, and he shows you how over at LegacySupps.com with links to clinical studies on each of the nine key ingredients. No bull, no bro science, just facts. It's time to level up your strength, energy, libido, and drive now with Test X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition. 
And if you want to really level up, go for the ultimate test stack, adding T-Assist, a pro-grade estrogen inhibitor and test enhancer, and the best-selling sleep aid Recovery PM, and discover why improving your sleep is the key to unlocking your mental and physical potential. So stop settling for average. Go to LegacySupps.com now and use the promo code WRESTLINGLIFE for 10% off your entire order. That's promo code WRESTLINGLIFE. And if you subscribe to have it shipped every 30 days, you can still get the discount every single time. So head on over now to LegacySupps.com and level up with Legacy. So that is, is that, is that, um, you know, incredible career. Hmm. You've pretty much faced everyone risk to face, but is there one that got away from you? Is there one match or opponent that you always hoped would happen, but it never quite lined up and the stars never aligned? Well, there's an almost because I did wrestle him. I wrestled Kurt Angle in a five-minute TV match. Did you? Um, and the, the wish was that we would get a longer match on pay-per-view, and I know that Kurt pitched for it. Um, but the feeling at the time was because I was X Division material, an X Division guy, and he was a heavyweight, they weren't going to go down that path. But that would have been something I'd really like to have, have done. You know, a nice 15, 20 minute match with yeah. Kurt Angle. You know, I think that was something that TNA missed the boat on. Absolutely. And a strange ruling because presumably mm-hmm. you're pretty similar weight wise. The two of you. Yeah, no, you same, yeah. same height, same weight. In fact, I exactly. probably more than it at the time. That's, yeah. 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 So that, but it was that period when you were very much aligned with the X Division. and Exactly, yeah. And he was part of the, was it Main Event Mafia or whatever they call him? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was during that period. So, so, out, there, so out there in the digital ether, there is a five-minute match of you and Kurt Angle, but that's all we got. Yeah, well, on YouTube, they show like the last two minutes of it or something. But yeah, <laughs> you can see the last two minutes. But yeah, if you... If you have the TNA streaming service and you have access to all the impact wrestling, you can go through them. <laughs> I'm sure you could find it somewhere on there. Well, I I'm, cu- I I'm couldn't curious. Even, I couldn't even begin to tell you the the, the, the month or anything like that. I mean, yeah, it's we'll, 2010, but I don't we'll know. find it. I, I need to see that. I'm really curious because when I, when I interviewed, so you have, I mentioned to you this to you before we, you came on, like you were the first wrestler I interviewed probably going back 10, 11 years. It would have been, oh. You were in a period where you were in TNA, but for some reason you were also doing loads of independent bookings yeah. in the UK. And I think you're at a, you're at a future pro wrestling show. Yeah. And how, how how does that come about when you're contracted talent, but you're then... Well, for the first year I was contracted to TNA, I was still living in the United Kingdom. Right. So provided I wasn't working for them, you know, they had first dibs on my bookings but as yeah. long as I, I was, as long as I wasn't doing anything for them, which obviously I wasn't when I lived in the UK all the time, I could take um, independent bookings over here. So that was fine. Right. Um, and then when I did move to the states, and I had the X Division title. Um, I just arranged um, through them to do tours over here with the X Division belt, and providing there's a few rules they set, like I couldn't do any jobs, or yeah. you know, I mean, then 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 they would they would authorize those tours as well. So that was always good. That's a great exposure, isn't it? That's, that's win win yeah. for the company in the downtime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and obviously it also helps the independent promoters out, and they put a current TNA star on their poster. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I think you can't underestimate uh, the popularity of TNA back in the UK back in the day when it was yeah. on. Brand. I yeah. mean, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I um about how into in in early 2000s when i was in japan i go over to japan i get recognized and you 
fans in the hotel lobby and they always sign stuff and you feel like a celebrity. And the joy of it is you can come home and no one knows who the hell you are. You know what I mean? <laughs> that all changed when I was on TNA. I would literally, literally walk down the street and every two or three minutes, someone would go, hey, Doug Williams, TNA. And I was like, this is so, yeah, it, it got a lot of exposure here, TNA. I think a lot yeah. more people give it credit for. And that's why they're tendencies of their house shows when they toured over here always drew so well i think yeah you know but yeah it, 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 i would get recognized nearly everywhere i went <laughs> well you know it's a, that it's two a, or three year period i was on tv for tna it was good i mean tna is just celebrated i think it's just had a thousand episodes of impact i mean it's it's right way go, gone and beyond what anyone expects it probably ever would it's it's had right. incredible longevity really um i saw that you were at one of the recent are you backstage at the, their recent tour that you did in in the uk was it nice to yeah. catch up with some of the old crew yeah definitely i mean i, I i've gone along um yeah primarily to meet with uh kazarian and 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 chris um eric, EY, eric young um who are all good really good mates of mine um I'd seen Eric quite recently when he toured last year in the UK, but the other guys I hadn't seen for a long, long time. So it was great to catch up with them. Um, Gail Kim, obviously I knew um, she's over because she's a producer for them. And Scott Damore, I know really, I mean, I know Scott Damore, I've known since 2002, probably a long, long time. So yeah, it, it was, it was really good. It was really nice. And uh, you know, it was nice to be welcomed by them as well. They were like, yeah, yeah come backstage, hang out, do what, you know, just, it was it was really nice. Well, the thing is, you're you're very synonymous with TNA. Your name is, and mm-hmm. you know we're at a point now where Impact is about to rebrand and become yeah. TNA once again, which I think is a move that most people are very celebratory of. I mean, yeah. how, how how do you feel about that? Because for me, I think it's great. It's going to feed an introvert nostalgia for a brand. I do, and, and, re- and really, their most popular period was when they were TNA. You know, from two thousand six through two thousand ten. Yeah, they were the second biggest company in in America, and and. Yeah, the brand obviously still means something to people. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm happy about it. It's, it's good, you know. And it's a lot easier to chant than Impact Wrestling. I've never really been sure what they did. Very true, very true. Yeah, I, wish, I, I, wish them, I wish them all the best and every success because at the end of the day, the more viable wrestling promotions there are out there, the more opportunity there are for talent to earn a living and the better it is for fans. So for me, I, I've never been a subscriber of, you know, you've got to like this promotion over this promotion or this promotion. There's there's more than enough, you know, if anything, there's too much wrestling content these days. But oh, absolutely. there's you know, definitely yeah. more than enough to go around. Oh, yeah. And I'm the same as you. I'll, I'll watch good wrestling. I don't care who's putting it on, yeah. you know, who's promoting it. I'll watch it. If it's if it's good, I'll watch stuff from WWE. I'll watch stuff from AEW. Um, I'll watch... Only, you know, I'll, I'll try and catch stuff on on online for New Japan or Noah or or Impact even, um, yeah. as and when I can. It's just I'll read about something or oh, this match was good or it was two guys that I've always wanted to see against each other, and I'll seek it out and I'll watch it. You know, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I'm not a member yeah. of anyone's team. I'm I'm I'm, I'm there to be inter- entertained and enjoyed by by good wrestling. Whoever puts it on. So do you, do you feel that you can now kind of transition back to being a fan for the sport that you, you loved? I do, and I try to be. And when I watch it, I'll, I'll, I'll try and look at it through the mindset of a fan. I'm still very... <laughs> can, can you do that without being critical? Uh, no, I can't really. It's difficult. It's still difficult. But I, 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 I allow myself to sit back and be entertained and look through any logic holes that I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. 
you, you've got to you've got to take it for what it is a lot of the time, you know, especially with modern wrestling, and and understand that that's that's how the art form is nowadays, you know. Yeah. And if you accept that and take it on board, then you can enjoy it a lot better, I think. Yeah, um, I'm not a bitter. I'm not an embittered old veteran who thinks it was better back in the in the good old days because um, a lot of it wasn't. A lot of it was, but a lot of it wasn't. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it's it's yeah. I'm trying to be a fan. Trying to be. Yeah. I, I trying to stay. I, I definitely stay positive. I, I'll highlight rather than you know. It's like when people will ask me, you know, in the dressing room about their match, and I always make a point of highlighting what they did well first. And then I say, well, and then these are things you can work on. Yes. I would never say this was bad, that was terrible, cut that out. I would just tell them what they did well and what they could work on. And I think that's how you have to approach it. Because yeah. it you know, makes them feel better and it makes them feel like they're going um, in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, instead of knocking somebody down. Yeah, and also wrestling cyclical, isn't it? Like things that yeah. are evolving now, they'll be different in a couple of years. Like I've, I feel like I've seen so many different eras of wrestling over the last 35 years <laughs> as a fan. And, yeah. you know, it, the styles change and I'm not 100% sure I'm necessarily that on board with some of the aspects of the current in-room product, but then there were definitely aspects of the 90s project, late 90s product that I was deeply uncomfortable with. And, yeah. you know, yeah. everything changes and we learn more about, you know, people learn more about injuries, they learn more about pacing and yeah. probably the product we're seeing now will be very different in 10 years time when some of those, I, you know, I do have to say, are, yeah. the product differs from promotion to promotion as well. Yeah. So the evolution of wrestling is not a linear thing. It, it it goes at its own pace within different promotions. I find, yeah, um, and and that's an interesting point. You know, even in the promotions that try and encompass everything, yeah. they still have things that hallmark things that set it apart from what another promotion might do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is interesting to see that. But it allows a fan to pick and choose what they might want to watch so much better. I think because yeah. of that, if everything's the same. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It's all a menu, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Dish. That's it. So, look, my last question, Doug, and mm. you know, it's been fantastic to have this conversation on. Um, but you know, you've you've left your boots in the ring. It's the final time. You said your wrestling days are done. I guess there's a case of never say never, but as it stands currently, you are retired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so firstly, on behalf of you know fans globally, thank you for your career and thank you for all the memories and, and great matches you gave us. Okay. Um, what do you believe your legacy in wrestling is? Um, it is demonstrating that you could break out of the normal routine of things and work towards the ambitions that you set yourself um, and um, kept the legacy of British wrestling alive through a period where it was very, very, dim or probably non-existence on a global scale. And I kind of hope that I contributed to bringing it back to the forefront. Um, you know, so uh, I'm, I, I'm hoping that's what my legacy will be. Well, I think you unquestionably did. And well, I know you unquestionably did. And, you know, I don't think the British scene has ever really been healthier or the opportunities for British talent have ever been more plentiful than they are right now. No, I agree totally. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's great to see, to be honest with you, even though I can't be part of it. It's great to see. <laughs> well, you can enjoy it as a, enjoy it 
from the sidelines now, knowing that mm-hmm. knowing that your work is done and you can just enjoy <laughs> enjoy life now and hopefully enjoy life without taking quite so many bumps. Definitely. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um where can um my audience follow you on social media? So um on Instagram it's at Doug Williams GB and Twitter or X if you prefer. <laughs> it's Doug Williams UK. Um don't ask me why they're different, they just are. <laughs> Um, I do have Facebook, but it's friends and family only, so don't follow me on there. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the two main social media platforms for me is Instagram and Twitter. You can, you can, you know, drop me a message if you want or look at the content. Um, I'm always, if I'm, if I'm um, appearing anywhere or I'm doing any guest training seminars, um, podcasts, whatever, then I, th- those are the two platforms I'll promote them on. Nice. Well, everyone listening or watching today, you know, take a screenshot, um, you know, tag tag Doug, tag me, let him know what you think. Thank him for, for his career. And um, thank you very much for your time today, Doug. No problem, Ben. It's been, been fun. Thank you. So that is it for another Wrestling Life. Thank you to my guest, the ambassador of British wrestling, Doug Williams. Thank you to my producer, Jeff Easton from Tall Lake Productions for bringing Wrestling Life to life. This has been the Wrestling Life podcast, and we'll be back very soon with more real talk from real talent. Until then, be good to each other. See ya. See ya.